0: Uh, two things. Uh, number one, a women's uh, Bible study throughout the summer. They actually, are they're only meeting once a month, and they're meeting August 2nd, this Wednesday at 9.30. Uh, if you want to come, uh, there'll be childcare, but you gotta sign up so they know how many kids you're bringing. But 9.30 Wednesday for that. And then secondly, if you are a member at Element, you've actually gone through the members, it's like, you're probably new, someone's new, and they're like, what does that mean? Well, you sign on the dotted line, you have given us a quart of blood, you have, I'm kidding. Some of our new ones like, this is a cult. I'm out of here. No, uh, no uh, you've been through the gospel class, uh, baptized. We, you know, we've sat down and talked with you, and we know and, you know those kind of things. If, if you have signed on the line, we're doing a member meeting right after the service, uh, upstairs in the youth room. So you're right out the door and up those steps. You feel like you're going to get lost, but you're going to be okay. There's a big room up there, and we'll meet up there and talk to you. i tell you what's going on with the building, and what's going on with this property over here, and where we're at, and let you in on a couple Things. Nothing. To, you ask me any questions you want when you're there, even even some meaningless questions, which apparently people like to ask a lot. So, don't be one. Of, no, I'm kidding. It is third service. This is not going in the video. So, uh, if you are new, welcome to Element. We do not want your blood, uh, but there are Bibles in the back. If you don't uh, own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room that look like this. I actually, spent part of last service. I don't know why, because I'm neurotic. Like evening up the creases in it so it, it folds right i don't know why i did it but you can grab one on the inside you'll get some notes and questions that go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about uh, if you have a smartphone you can download an app it is called YouVersion. you version click on more and then events in UVersion version will come up by gps in your smartphone you'll get summer notes versus questions announcements all that goes with today's message my name is aaron i'm one of the pastors here why don't you stand with me for the reading of god's word Uh, This is John chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, and it says this. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who trust the words that you say, even sometimes when they make us step back and question what they mean that we would understand on the backside it's about redemption and hope and grace and restoration and all that you are doing. So teach us as a people to live in a way that brings you great glory as we live in the joy and the life that you have provided. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series called What in the World? It's actually What in the World Part 2 because we did Part 1 last year. And last year I came up with some questions in the Bible that I thought would still make people go, hmm, what's that there for? We did 10 weeks of those and during that 10 weeks I asked you to ask your What in the World questions for me. And that we'd come back this year and we'd answer them. So since Easter, we have been answering all of your questions. Uh, I think this is week 15. We've got three weeks left after this week. And if you hate this series, we're almost done. The end is in sight. Summer's almost over. You're back to school. All that kind of stuff. We're, we're almost there. Uh, we've done, uh, we're doing some of these also in answers in blog form on our website because some of the questions don't take a whole Sunday morning message. Not that I couldn't stretch any question into a sermon. <laughs> but I'm being nice to you, so you're welcome. I'll let some of those things be shorter. Uh, but in that, that's not for today, because today I actually could have put in a blog, but I really wanted to talk about it, so you get the whole sermon around it. So yeah, there's that, the hashtag, sorry, not sorry, that's what it is right now. So that, that's what we're going with. So here is the question. Uh, it's always bothered me that Jesus said stuff like, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days, and not expect that people would think he's a nut. They had no way of knowing he was referring to his body. So why didn't he say it more clearly? Now, first I'd like to say, it's good that it bothers you because it bothered people in Jesus' day, and if you weren't bothered at all by it, there's probably something wrong with you not really because we all kind of don't follow sometimes when Jesus says some really weird stuff. Secondly, does Jesus expect people to think he was a nut? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, this is really how a lot of rabbis taught at that time. They would say things, and people would go, what? Because you'd have to go and think about it. You'd have to work through it and come out to the other side of it. And that's what Jesus intended with a lot of the things that he said. But thirdly, why didn't he just say it more clearly? The answer is simply, he didn't want to. Let's pray. No, sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> One day, I'm actually going to do that. And you're going to be like, what? Sweet. Not today. Okay. So... (laughs) Okay, so so in this, uh, through the scriptures, especially in the Gospel of John, you will see Jesus say a lot of things that causes a lot of confusion for people, and you will see Jesus do very little to make himself clearer. And again, this is how a lot of rabbis taught at the time. They would say things because they wanted people to think about things. A lot of rabbis, when they spoke, would actually ask a lot of questions so that you would have to answer back so they could figure out what you're thinking before they would say something to make you go, What? So you'd have to start to think about it. And Jesus does that a lot. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And he's talking to Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. Nicodemus is a teacher in Israel, so he's a really smart guy. But he's taking Jesus literally. In John 3, 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so we'd be like, the answer to that is no, and it'd be awkward if you tried, right? But so Jesus starts to break it down for him, but it's really not satisfying for Nicodemus. Jesus says this, John 3, 6 through 8, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And I would have been great if Jesus stopped right there, but he kind of goes on and then gives this little weird haiku kind of thing. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So does everyone who is born of the spirit. It's like, Yeah, go and think about it. Go and think about what that means. So Jesus is talking about spiritual birth, the opening of Nicodemus' eyes that then leads to spiritual truth. The Apostle Paul picks up on this, and he talks about it. But this conversation actually leads Nicodemus on a journey where he comes to salvation and believes in Jesus. So that's the point. You have a woman in John chapter 4. She's at a well, and she's pulling out some water. And Jesus sits down, and he says, hey, let's talk about water. So she thinks he wants him to get her some water water out of the well so she's like i'll get you some water And he's like no 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 i'm talking about living water and she's like what living water and she thinks if i get this living water i don't have to come and get water out of the well anymore this is great then jesus has to be like no 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 i'm talking about spiritual things so you would grow and who god's calling you to be and it's this whole conversation but the biggest point is that this woman had had five husbands she was now living with the sixth guy and wasn't married to him and jesus is saying to her redemption is available even for you and through this conversation of these things she doesn't understand, eventually Jesus brings her to the place where she believes in salvation. And this is the whole thing. What is Jesus trying to say? You go a couple chapters later to John chapter 6. Jesus talking to these crowds that are following him, and he tells them they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And on top of that, it sounds like he wants to be taken literally. John 6.55, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. It's like, what kind of crazy talk is that? Does Jesus want us to be cannibals? Is that, is that what he's talking about? Many disciples, because they don't understand, abandon Jesus at this point. And even the 12 disciples that actually do stay with him, it's not that they understand everything completely, it's that they trust him. And they know on the backside when they think and work through this, they're actually going to grow. And again and again and again in the scriptures, Jesus says things that his hearers don't understand. And they're always trying to finagle it into some type of interpretation for them to actually make sense. And sometimes the idea is Jesus just wants you to sit with him and listen to him and pray about it. Let the Spirit start to do its work in your heart. Because many times Jesus is leading us on a journey to spiritual things. Sometimes Jesus does sit down and he explains some stuff, but many times he doesn't. Uh, there's a point where Philip, one of the disciples, says to Jesus, "Hey, Jesus, show us the Father." And Jesus almost sounds disappointed in John 14:9, and he says, "Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, "Show us the Father?" Even at the end of his life, at his trial, Jesus faces Pilate and he still uses this metaphorical language about the kingdom of God. Though he is, he, he does actually kind of explain that to Pilate because Pilate's a Gentile. But Jesus does this a lot. So open your Bibles to John chapter 2. And I think this is good for us to take a step back sometimes and think of how we are always trying to pigeonhole Jesus' words into our cultural concept. You've got to take a step back and listen to what he is actually saying sometimes. Like, Jesus insisted God's word is true, but the truth he's interested in the end is whether or not, it's not whether you believe two million Jews survived in the desert for 40 years, though I believe Jesus believed that and I believe that, but we don't are not saved by believing two million Jews were in the desert for 40 years. We're saved by Jesus. You're not saved whether you believe that uh, Jonah was in the belly of a big fish for three days, even though I believe Jesus believed it, and I think it was pretty cool, and I'd like to see him bark back up on a beach would be kind of neat, right? But but the point is not that you don't need to believe in Jonah, and you need to believe in Jesus and what he did. The whole point that Jesus comes and talks about through all this stuff is so we would believe in him, in his restoration, in his redemption. He is interested in us understanding the righteousness and the goodness and the love and the faithfulness of God. The truth that the world needs to hear is the truth of who Jesus is, that he is on a rescue mission for us. So have that in mind as we talk about the verses that the question comes out of. So we're going to read it in context. So John 2, we're going to start in verse 13 and go all the way through verse 22. It says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. The disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us? for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So there you go. Crystal clear, right? No. Okay. So what is happening is this, what's taking place when somebody asks us what in the world question and what Jesus says. This is during a thing called Passover, Passover, Passover is the largest Jewish holiday of the year. At this time, Jerusalem would swell to four to five times its normal occupancy. Streets were packed. The temple is packed. This idea of Passover goes back to how God rescues his people out of Egypt in slavery and brings them into new and true and real life. We even use that metaphor today to talk about what salvation really means. It's that God's grace has passed over them and God has brought them life instead of death. So they celebrate this at Passover, how God told them to celebrate this. And they did this for thousands of years from Egypt all the way up to time to where Jesus is there. All Jews coming to Jerusalem to the temple. In John chapter 2, Jesus comes to the temple. Why? Because if you are an able-bodied male and you are over 19 years of age within 15 miles of the temple, you are required to go. You're required to go. But even Jews from other lands, they all dreamed of one day going to the temple and celebrating Passover at some point in their lifetime. And it's interesting that Jews at Passover, they would try to do everything they could to rid themselves of any iniquity or sin in their life. They would even get rid of yeast that was in their home because yeast rose. And they were like, oh, that's like sin, so let's get rid of the yeast. Whatever, okay. Uh, but Jesus comes, and what he's trying to show them is it's not just the sin in your house. It's the sin in your heart and even the sin in your worship and your religion that needs to be dealt with. So Jesus is going to deal with that so when he gets there verse 14 in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there to us that doesn't seem like a big deal i've been to lots of churches that have coffee shops and i didn't freak out i don't think jesus freaked out but i think there's something else going on here what's happening is that worshipers of god at the temple were becoming lazy worshipers so glad we've outgrown that today or not in the Old Testament, God tells his people that worship, sac- worship is sacrifice and you're supposed to bring a sacrifice to the temple for worship. And when you step into the temple, all of these animals that were there, they were the animals that were chosen for sacrifice. Those are the ones that are designated But people were supposed to raise their own. They were supposed to bring their own animal for sacrifice, to transport it. And that's not easy. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been on a trip of 40 to 50 to 100 miles on foot with a goat or a sheep. I'm sure that can't be that easy to get somewhere, and yet you're supposed to do that. And because people were lazy, what happened is the temple started a business. So that people didn't have to do all the hard work and they could just be lazy. They started to do the work that people were supposed to do. And what I mean by that is you were to raise an unblemished animal. This is like the best of your livestock, the best thing that you have. And you'd be like, oh, it looks great. Why? Because that's the most expensive thing that you own. And you would take that and you would bring it to the temple and they would slaughter it. And the blood would run out. And you'd be like, oh, well, that's great. Well, it's That's horrible, right? But it's this idea that your sin has caused this. Our sin against one another and how we tear people apart and how we have ruined our relationship with God. This is what happens. Blood is spilt because our sin is so horrible. It's to remind you of the cost. So somebody gets this brilliant idea. People don't like raising animals for this. They don't like to transport them 50 miles to walk here for this. Let's just sell them the animals when they get here. The priest can kill it, they can go home, and it lost all the significance of what God would do when he came in Jesus to pay for our sins himself. Now, how is this like today? Well, many people go to a church and they think church is the building that we go to. No, the church is you. Me. We as a people, we are the church. And yet we become lazy worshippers because we think we pay somebody to do the work of ministry You're talking about the gospel for us. Like, if you have a friend in your life who needs to know about Jesus, people think, well, I'll bring them to church. Aaron will tell them about Jesus. And I will. I mean, I'll, but... You are the first minister of the gospel of Christ in your life. You are the one who's supposed to tell people about Jesus. All the time, people have like all these ideas of something God has placed on their heart. Oh, it'd be great if, if Element did this and had a ministry towards this. And people come up and are like, are you in a gospel community? Yeah. Have you talked to them about it? No. We want you to do it. No. You go to your gospel community and say, God has placed this on my heart. I think we need to do this. It's going to alleviate a need. We can be God's hands and feet. And we're like, right. Go everybody thinks, oh no, no, we, we pay those people at the church to go and do that for us. No. You're the minister. You're the minister. And too often we're like this. We become lazy worshipers and want everybody else to do our ideas, but we don't want to do our ideas themselves. People want a convenience, not worship. I guys, I, I gotta say, sometimes I say some things that's really hard to you and people about that element because sometimes I'm too mean. Sorry. How about this? Let's just go here. You are horrible and I am horrible you are lazy worshippers and I am a lazy worshipper we've got to own it we've got to own it so we can ever get any better in how we deal with it that's what was wrong here you want, they wanted a, just as little inconvenience as possible it's like McDonald's or Burger King I want to have it my way that's okay for there it is not okay for Jesus it is not okay for how we worship Jesus and and so you know if you decided to buy your animal at the temple they would gouge you and personally I think you deserve it right but, but they they would gouge you William Barclay says this though the cost of a dove in the temple was twenty times the actual value this would be like going and buying a hamburger at Magic Mountain right <laughs> I like a hamburger and a coke that's four thousand dollars oh because they get you in they shut the gates oh you got to buy your food in here yeah. It's it's not the greatest. Oh, you want a bottle of water? That's a hundred bucks. You know, it's, it's it's We don't have drinking fountains. You can die or buy our water. It's. I have issues. I know. Okay, uh, I get it. Now, what's, what's sad about this on the backside is that people who were poor who couldn't raise their own animals, they were allowed to bring as a sacrifice a pigeon or a dove. Now, you didn't raise those. You would actually buy those, but they were very cheap to buy. But the temple said no one else can sell these around us. People have to come to worship at the temple, and you've got to buy it in the temple. And it was 20 times its actual value. And what it did is it robbed the poor and the marginalized from being able to worship God in a real way. That's what's happening, and it makes Jesus angry. And even more on top of that, if you did actually bring a sacrifice, if you raised your your animal and you transported it there and you got there, there's this whole other thing where it has to be inspected. So you'd walk up. This is Lammy. He's my favorite. He's so awesome. And they'd be like, Oh, well, Lammy's got a problem here, and Lammy's got a problem here. And let me. Oh, you can't sacrifice Lammy. Like, what do I do? Oh, well, this is Joe. He has the third stall on the left. Uh, he's he's got his animals. They have been inspected and they've been bagged and they've been tagged. We're gonna you can just buy one of his. We'll take your crap animal off you and then we will carry it up there. We'll sacrifice it for you. Why even do the work of transporting anything? You know because it's all about convenience. Because the customer is always wicked, wicked. The customer is always. And so you start thinking, why would I ever go to the temple and bring my own animal? It's too much work. Let's just, let's just them have them do it for me. And then they would take your not good enough animal that you bought another one. And then the next guy would come and they go, hey, we got Lammy. He's great. You buy Lammy. And they would sell it to the next guy. Do you see what's going on? Do you see why Jesus gets frustrated? Then you have these people in there who are the money changers. The money changers. Now it's not wrong to make a buck, but I think it is wrong to extort people. You ever go to a foreign country and you exchange your money on foreign soil? No, no one. It, okay, if you ever done it, don't do it. Okay, it is you just raked over the coals every single time. Uh, I was in Egypt a few years ago, and I was at this this market, and, and I saw this thing I thought my wife would like, and I was like, hey, and I and I bartered the guy down to hundred bucks. I'm like, a hundred bucks, and there's this little kid with us. He's like, just go stand over there. So I go stand over there. I I thought I was gonna get jumped or something, but I just stood over there, and and he comes back five minutes later and he hands it to me. I go, how much? He said five bucks, and I go, what? I call it the white American text. That's what I call it because I was there and they're just going to rip me But that's what they do. That's, that's business to them. Now, to go and worship at the temple, you if you were 19 years or older and you were male, you paid this thing called the temple tax. Why? According to God, everything is your responsibility. The whole world, your responsibility. So the temple tax was supposed to be a way to pay for the good work of the temple and the priests so that single moms and widows and orphans and foreigners and refugees and the poor could all come and worship God without the burden. So, after going through all the other giving, you you would get there and you would pay two to three days' wages to be able to go and worship in the temple. But how do you pay that? Well, you can't use the money you have in your pocket because the money in your pocket has somebody's picture on it. Usually a ruler of some country and they want to be worshipped as a deity. And so the temple said, oh, you can't use that money in the temple. You can't do that. So to get into the temple, you had to buy special temple money. Hence, the money changers. It's like uh, going to Chuck E. Cheese right? Oh, your quarters aren't good enough at Chuck E. Cheese. you got to put your money in the thing and, ding, 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 and you get tokens with whose picture on it. The deity, Chuck E. Cheese. That's what they do. It's horrible. You can't spend it anywhere else. Jesus would not be happy with Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, so, so you got their money and this is mandatory. This, this is mandatory to do and you get an awful exchange rate where you end up paying five to six days wages to do something you have to do. Imagine you came here, and I said, okay, uh, you got to give me 30% of your income, and if you want to come on on Christmas or Easter, uh, that's like another 500 bucks. And if you want to sing a song, well, that's 15 bucks. And if you want to listen to a message, that's 15 bucks per minute, because I can be long-winded. I know, I get it, right? What would you say? I'm going to find another church. That's what I'm going to do. But you can't find another place, because there's only one temple. Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, one temple. Israel had one place for the temple there is nowhere else to go and this is what has happened and if you're a poor or you're a single mom you can't come this is what they do to them to foreigners and to widows they all get taken advantage of so what does jesus do Takes some cords makes a whip and he drives them out of my town tem- out, out of the temple guys and excuse my language but jesus pissed off and rightly so and rightly so. This is holy, righteous anger. This is not the modern church's version of Mr. Rogers with the flower in his hair going, going, hey, do you want to be my neighbor? He's like, I'm going to kick these people out of the temple. I'm like, yeah. I love this picture of Jesus with like a whip in one hand, flipping tables in the other. i like, you want a piece of this? i be like, yeah. I don't want a piece of that, but yeah. I mean... <laughs> I like that picture because it shows that everybody else is being a lazy worshiper except for Jesus. He is the one that cares enough that he's going to do something about it. This is the picture that you see. And there is a time when righteous anger is justified. When it comes to the poor and single moms and the marginalized getting ripped off by religious hucksters, and I don't care who they are, whether it's from Scientology to Christians to JWs to Mormons to Christians, whoever it is, we should be angry about it. We need to flip some tables. Verse 17, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house, that's the temple, will consume me. So you're starting to get the idea, hopefully a little bit, when Jesus says the temple is being destroyed. Because it is being destroyed right now. And there's another thing that goes along with this as well. The place where all this corruption took place is in a thing called the Court of the Gentiles. That's how the temple is set up. So you got the Holy of Holies, it's the most holy place, the high priest goes in there once a year. Outside of that you have the holy place and the court of the priests where the priests go, then the court of the men, then the court of the women, then the court of the Israelites, and outside that you would have the court of the Gentiles. Now here's a representation of that. That is the court of the Gentiles. It is the largest place in the temple. Why? Because God wanted foreigners, people who didn't know him, to have a place to go to learn about who he was so they can see who this God is. Make it the biggest and most open, most inviting place possible. This is where you do that. So imagine you're out there and and you see some Hebrews living somewhere. and, And you see that they love God and serve him and worship him. You're like, I want to know about this God. Where do you go? To them. And you ask them, tell me about your God. It's not hard, okay? Like, like if there's somebody in your life who really needs to know about Jesus, where do you send them? To you, okay? If you know Jesus, that's where they go. So you can talk about Jesus. Now, these people, if they wanted to come and worship at the temple, this is where they would go. And a lot of people who didn't know who God was would show up at this place. In our vernacular, this is where non-Christians would go to to find God. And so the money and the temple tax was meant to pay for all of this so these people could come and find out. And so these Gentiles show up, and this court is filled with animals and and money changers and all this crazy stuff going on. All they would see is business, money, bartering, chaos. All that stuff was not put into the court of the priests It was not put into the court of the men or the court of the women or the court of the Israelites. It was put out in the only place that these Gentiles could go. That's where they put it. So you decide, I'm going to go to the temple on their holiest day of the year so I can ask some questions and I can learn about this God. So they're going to go on Passover. It'd be like someone coming to church on Easter and nobody even saying hi to them. And they show up to this place and this is all that they see. And they think, wow. This God is only interested in my money. Does that still happen today? Yeah, still happens today. Why? Because Christians are lazy worshipers. And they would think, well, this God's not that impressive. He's just like every other God out there. He's vindictive, he's mean, he's cruel, and his people are not that impressive. Which is still true, by the way. <laughs> we are not that impressive. And this is why I think people still have a problem with Christians in the world today. Because of how we treat the scriptures, how we treat Jesus, and how we treat each other. This is one of the reasons why people always get on my case about this, but I, do, I am not a fan of Christian bumper stickers at all. Because Christian bumper stickers mean nothing to people who do not know Jesus. And people look at, even they have these bumper stickers that say, not perfect, just forgiven. That still sounds like I'm better than you. That's what it sounds like. And I, and I hate them because I don't think that a lot of people in the world hate god that said they hate god they just don't know him and i think all the things if you've been in church for a while and you've learned and forgotten they don't even know those things yet so how are they going to learn about who he is by how we live by how we live not putting a sticker in a car that says in case of rapture car's unmanned and it's gonna become a missile and take people out ha ha you know it's not funny well it is funny when you mock it but it's i'm just like we just we just don't get it so jesus is angry Which makes the religious leaders and the businessmen angry. And they go after Jesus. Like, our income share is dropping. What's going on? Verse 18. What sign do you show us for doing these things? For cleansing the temple. Verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. Jesus said, yep. They say, who do you think you are? Where are the religious leaders? That's who we are. Jesus says, you destroy it, I'm going to rebuild it. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty-two. He says the Jews are always asking for a sign. He goes, but I refuse to give them one because there's only one sign and everybody gets it. And that is Jesus was died and rose from the grave. That's the sign everybody gets. The word for temple here, it can mean building, but the word also been understood as the presence of God. So what Jesus would be saying is, destroy the place where the presence of God dwells and I will rebuild it in three days. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. At that time, the temple had been worked on for 46 years. It had 20 more to go. You're going to raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. John Piper talks about this, and he says there's two main things that Jesus means here. He says, first off, he's like, me destroy the temple? No, no, no. You are the ones destroying the temple. When you desecrate the worship of my Father with your whitewashed greed, you destroy what the temple is meant to be, and you expose it to the wrath of God. And the temple was actually destroyed in 70 AD, 40 years after this. But Jesus is telling them now, and what is happening, they are the ones who are destroying it. And he's going to bring back true worship. How is he going to do that? Death and resurrection. Crucifixion and resurrection. That's how he's going to do it. And secondly, he meant that the same materialistic deadness to spiritual reality that destroys this temple is going to also destroy him. Just like they're trying to kill true worship with their laziness and their consumerism and their materialism, they will also kill him because greed is their God. John Piper says, Jesus is saying, I and my father are one. If you destroy his house, you destroy me. If you treasure money more than my father, you will also treasure my destruction. So Jesus says, You want to see a miracle? You kill me. You kill me and I will come back. I'll show you what authority from God I have. He says, Kill the worship in this place. And I will die and raise from the grave, and I will send my spirit into people, and they will be able to worship anywhere. Why didn't he explain it so people knew exactly what he was saying? Did they think he was crazy? Well, no, I think he explained it in a way that has a much deeper meaning, especially for the church and how it was built. I mean, the closest to him didn't think he was crazy. And this understanding of his death and resurrection is what the entire church ends up being built upon. His crucifixion and resurrection. And Jesus says, The temple that you have built and the animals that you have killed and the blood that you have shed is all now unnecessary in me. All of it, everything, finds fulfillment in Jesus. The message of Jesus' death and resurrection. Three days later, what it says to us is the temple was the place where sin was atoned for. That is now in the person of Jesus. The temple was the place where people come to worship God. That is now in Jesus. The temple was the place where the priest would intercede before God. That is now in Jesus who becomes our great high priest. Jesus does all of it. And he says, you have wasted your time thinking the temple can do for you what only I can accomplish. It's like, you want to see a miracle? Kill me and I will come back. God will raise me up. And that is exactly what happened. I don't think we should be bothered so much by when Jesus says these words. I think we should be inspired by what God actually did. God takes and uses the entire Old Testament system to lead us to the person of Jesus. Our redemption, our hope, our life, our faith is all found in him. And this is what everybody understood after the resurrection. Oh, as we think, this is what Jesus meant. And I think for us, it means we have to ask ourselves some questions. I think number one, we've got to ask ourselves, what kills your daily worship? Because worship is not coming here and singing some songs. Worship is what you do in your life every single day. How you live out the gospel. So when you're at work tomorrow, you're interacting with somebody tomorrow, whether it's your spouse or a friend or a coworker, whatever it is, how do you interact with them? Are you showing the gospel in your interactions? Or are you killing your daily worship because you want to be lazy and focus on yourself? I think another question is what rituals do you have in your life that actually pull you away from the person of christ what rituals do you put your time and energy into and they're pulling you away from who jesus calls you to be because we all have these things and sometimes those things start out as really good things well i'm gonna do this every day when i get up but all of a sudden that thing becomes the goal instead of jesus being the goal and something that is not jesus is less than jesus so we get rid of it and we follow him As in the middle of something that we go through, that we're cut up in, it is very hard to discern what Jesus is actually saying to us in the midst of it. But we must become a people who trust him who trust Him, even when we don't fully understand what's going on, because He is the author and finisher of our faith. The gospel is spoken in Jesus' when He says this, destroy this temple, destroy the place where, where atonement and redemption is meant to be spoken, and I will raise it up in three days. I am the one who will bring and show you truth and life and hope I will restore what was meant to be. All that you have broken will be restored by me. How? How? I will die for your sin. I will raise from the grave to bring you into life. Everything that stands between you and God that you're trying to get the temple to take care of here, I will do for you. And in the end, that shouldn't make us lazy, even though Jesus did all the work for us. It should make us out of a place of humbleness and hope, want to live even more for him in the world so that people see who he is and what he has done. This is when we talk about communion every week where we break that cracker because it represents Christ's body who was broken for us, dipping it in the wine or the grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me because he has done the work to bring us home. And that means that we as a people are are not righteous before God based upon our works, but we do get to work. And we do get to do things and bring Him glory and honor by how we live out what He has already done in us. We get the great joy of partnering with Him in the work of the gospel and speaking of the good news to the world. That all things can be new, including us. And we get to speak of this goodness. So let's be a people who speak of the goodness and stop being so lazy and focusing on ourselves every single day. Let's stop talking about us. This week, figure out how many times you say the word I. I, 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 I know, it sounds like a seagull. I, I, hear that, me, me, same thing, right? Think, start thinking how many times you say that and how often you're talking about yourself rather than thinking about who is God has sent you to. Where we become lazy? Think about these. The band's going to come up, as they do. If you guys need prayer, if you're in a place in your life where you have ritual over Jesus or there's something that is overtaking you where you cannot worship him or something is killing your daily worship or you're going through something and you can't see or understand who he is, they would love to pray with you about that. Because if there's anything going on in your life right now that you want someone to pray for, they would love to pray with you about that. There's offering boxes inside of them all in the back, and we give because God gives so much to us, giving is part of our worship. Uh, there's food in the back. Uh, grab something to eat, meet some other people, and ask some questions. I was talking to my gospel community leader, Donald, this week. I'm not throwing him under the bus because he's in this room or anything. Um, but uh, usually at the end of a message, after I, after I talk through it, I come up with like a couple questions in my mind. And I, and I kind of throw those out. And last week, our GC was meeting, and I, and I said, what were the questions? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I didn't write them down. Write them down. Um, so, and th- these are good questions to write down for all of us. I think if you get a chance today, this week, hang out with some other people and ask these questions. Number one, what kills your daily worship? What moves your eyes off of Jesus on a daily basis? And talk about that in real honesty. And secondly, do you have any rituals in your life that actually pulls you away from the person of Christ? Do you have those things? And identify those things and let people talk about it and walk with you through these things. So we begin to live out and walk with one another what the gospel is meant to be. So we live out the ministry that God has first given to us so that people would know how good he is. As I've got to tell you, our God is so much better than we can even comprehend And He continually calls us and brings us back home because of what He's done. So we, in turn, live that out. Let's cease being lazy and only obsessed with with our own comfort and start to live and love and worship Him first in all things. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that You would lead us to the place where we understand what You have done to rescue and save us more and more and that it would humble us and that we would understand that it's not our work that saves us. It's your work that was done for us. But we get to then step into this calling that you have placed in our lives. And we get to begin to live out the works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. That we get to become your workmanship in the world. Your poem to the world around us. So that people would see the beauty of of how you have restored and rescued us. Father, teach us to have faith. Not just mere belief, but faith in the tangibleness of the gospel in our lives, of what you have done. Faith in the person of who you are. Faith in the historicity of how you have come to rescue us. And give us the deep conviction of living in that hope so that we would begin to live out the goodness of the gospel in our lives. Father, for those in this room who have things that are just sitting on their hearts and it's destroying their daily worship of you, I ask that you'd reveal that to them and that they would seek you in the midst of it and that they would begin to worship you rightly. Father, for all of us, we all need others in our lives that you have placed in them to help us to grow. And so help us to speak out and live the gospel in each other's lives. Returning people to true worship of who you are. Of honoring you in what we say and what we do because you have first loved us. Teach us to live and find our hope and our being in who you are. We ask this in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.